I've been um, stirring, uh, the Lord's been stirring in me for quite some time uh, to share some things about our mouths. When I was a kid, I heard a lot of times, more times than I would want to admit, watch your mouth. Right, I was one of those kids that grew up in the streets in New York City. I only had two adjectives. They both had four letters and began. They're, they're some of the words you're not allowed to say on the radio. Let's just say that. And those were all of my adjectives. And I had this foul mouth, you know. And my mom wasn't the type to wash my mouth out with soap. So it just stayed that way. And, and that's how I fit in. When I heard the phrase, watch your mouth as a kid, really all that meant, and usually how we still mean it today, is don't use words that are cuss words or don't use words that are... Uh, whatever, negative or, or something like that. But I want to uh, spend a few weeks together with us talking about our mouths because this mouth, your mouth, my mouth, the mouth of every saint of God is the most powerful thing in all of the universe. It's the most powerful weapon. It's the most powerful force for good. And it could be the most powerful force for destruction. Scripture even says, man, life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those that love it we eat its fruit. So how many of you want to eat good fruit because of the words of our mouth? It's, it's one of those things where it almost seems like, you know, when you, when you hear somebody say, hey, watch your mouth, I'm going to be thinking about the words that come out of my mouth. But I think we all know well enough that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So there's some things that God's really been showing me again and, bring, and bringing, you know how when the Lord comes in a fresh way, he brings a fresh conviction about certain things and I've been in this with the Lord a fresh conviction about the words that fly out of my mouth and by the way it's not just the words that come out of our mouth when we're in public and when we're speaking to other people it's the words that come out of our mouth when we're in private they have every bit the authority that the words that get spoken to another person it's not just that our mouth can bless or curse it's also that our mouth releases something into the atmosphere all of creation exists because God spoke and he made us in his image and in his likeness and because of that our mouth also has authority in it to speak into our internal world and then to speak to our external word world so there's all kinds of stuff to complain about can I get an honest show of hands remembering as my friend Dawn always said liars are friars can I get an honest show of hands how many of you because of the events going on around the world in the last, I don't know, day. Let's back it up to a year and a half ago. How many of us have allowed words of complaint to escape our mouth? And I'll get right at the front of the line. Really, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you have never complained out loud about the things going on? Here, come up here. Right, you got to take my place. Because <laughs> you have reached the stage that James said was nearly impossible. Anyone who guards his tongue, who has complete control, has tamed his tongue perfectly, is like a perfect man. So all of us have been guilty of using our mouth in an inappropriate way. I'm not coming to bring over these next few weeks a thundering word of conviction from the pulpit. I believe that's the Holy Spirit's job and we all got him. And the Holy Spirit's more than able to do in you what he's doing in me regarding how I use this mouth. But we just sang some songs today, and I hope, you, I hope the Spirit of God is revealing to you just how powerful those things are. Speaking the name of Jesus isn't some religious formula. Jesus is the incarnate Word of God. When, when God finished creating everything, He had one more word to say, but He saved it. 
He saved it for a day when the only begotten Son would become manifest in the earth. And then he spoke one more word, and he spoke Jesus. And that's the last word he needed to say. Because in that name, all authority rests. In that name, the world is transformed so that once again, heaven and earth will be one. In that name, and those who not only speak that name, but embody that name and carry that name, we are those who will see to it that this world looks just like heaven invaded the place. So instead of everybody saying, oh man, it just feels like all hell broke loose, people will be saying, oh man, it feels like all heaven just broke loose. It's our responsibility. My kids and I last night and my wife watched this movie, uh, Tomorrowland. I've recommended it to you before as I, I believe it is a prophetic movie. And I, I don't know if the people who wrote the script for it even had a clue how prophetic it was. But the, the bottom line of the story was there was this thing from a place called Tomorrowland that was sending signals back to earth of our day signaling it about all these apocalyptic things that were going to happen. You know, we're going to be underwater and it's going to burn and overpopulation, all these negative things and the wars and all of these things. And the message coming back was, was designed to scare people into changing the world into making it a better place. But it had the opposite effect. It was becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so the world's destruction was speeding up because of all the fear-mongering. And, and, and a, a hope-filled heroine who's always my favorite character in any movie, whoever's the one carrying hope, the only one saying, hey, don't worry, it's going to be all right. That's always my favorite character. Pollyanna, right, in every movie, that's always my favorite character. And I believe that's the embodiment of what the church is supposed to be doing. We're to be using our mouth to bring the God of all hope to fill the earth with all joy and peace and believing. Why? So that the whole world will abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what our mouth has the power to do. Spiritual warfare is never won by railing against darkness. I'm going to tell you right now, I've been in all kinds of prayer meetings in my times in the Lord, and I've done that thing where you just curse the demons and cast out principalities and powers, and, and I've been parts of groups when we've done that together. Never once seen that make a difference. You know what I have seen make a difference? When the saints of God finally act like the saints of God. When the church finally remembers who we are and remembers that all authority in heaven and earth has already been given to Jesus and all it takes is a people who have been anointed, who carry the anointed one inside, Christ in us, the hope of glory. When we take that Christ in us and say, now let us burst out of my mouth in a way that brings life and light. Now that I've seen transform communities. That I've seen transform families. That we will see transform nations. We manifest the light. So I'm going to put a challenge out to all of us. And I'm first in line. And now my wife and all of you, I give permission to call me out. I believe we need to watch our mouth. Watch our mouth in the best way because, man, there's so much good stuff to do with this mouth. So many good things. I think we should use our mouth to glorify Jesus Christ a thousand times more than to speak against the Antichrist. Now, I got one amen for that. Well, one and a half amens for that. I might amen myself. I've, I've been hearing it. It's on the radio. It's on people's lips. Oh, here we go again. The bear is invading, you know, and all this, all, all this stuff. And I'm not going to get into end time prophecy right now. 
But suffice to say, our purpose in the earth isn't to speak more about Antichrist than it is Jesus Christ. We're actually playing right into the spirit of Antichrist's hands. All those fires that Steve was talking about earlier, all those little fires like that that are going around, I would propose to you that they're not just the Antichrist, but we partner with the Antichrist sometimes. The spirit of Antichrist, that is. We partner with that spirit of Antichrist when we talk about him or them more than we talk about Jesus Christ. So as David prayed after he had his big sin and he blew it, Psalm 51, he said, open my lips. And you know what you're gonna find there now? Now that you've redeemed me, now that you've set me free, now that you've forgiven me and given me hope and a new life, open up my lips so that my mouth will show forth your praise. That's what our mouth's made for. That's what our mouth is made for. So let's, um, let's take a look for a moment at um, this, this spiritual warfare thing, this thing that the Lord does, this thing that we do, and it's Romans 16, 19. And, oh, I still can't get the song out of my head whenever I just say that scripture verse. Be excellent at what is good or be wise in what is good and be innocent in what is evil. In other words, just focus on what's good. Be wise about it. Excel at everything that's good. Excel at living uprightly. Excel at righteousness, peace, and joy, which is what the kingdom of God is all about. Spend your time processing that. Spend our time becoming those who manifest Jesus the best way possible so that the world will have living epistles to read before they even begin to open up the word of God. They've already read our lives. And they say, man, I feel like I know Jesus already. Now I'm learning more about him as I read these pages. Excel at what's good. Be wise in what's good. And be completely innocent and what is evil? Now James will probably end up in James, the book of James at some point. James 3, as you know, is the classic passage about the tongue. It's, it's just, uh, you have to read that if we want to learn about our mouths. If we want to watch our mouth, read James 3. And he says in there, you know, can a fountain bring forth both sweet water or fresh water and bitter water at the same time? But, but that's just what we do when with our mouth we bless God and we curse man who's been made in the image of God. Now, everybody alive, whether they serve the Lord or not, still bears the image of God. Maybe not the likeness of God until we've been transformed back into his likeness, which is what the cross is all about, but everybody still bears the image of God. Marred as it is by sin, every human being walking the planet Yes, even that one that you may have heard is the Antichrist of our generation. The eighth Antichrist of my lifetime. Maybe more that I never heard of. Whoever it is, that person bears the image of God. So out of our mouth is not room to curse one person and bless the Lord at the same time. Now I believe with all my heart that that is a work that no human being could do on their own. There's not a one of us who can tame our tongue. James said it. He understood <laughs> James, one of the sons of thunder. I mean, he, he knew all about it, if that's the James who wrote that book of James anyway. He knew all about what, it, what the power of the mouth could do, and he needed supernatural transformation. How many of you believe that God's even able to do that? That God could, God could take this foul mouth, I'm gonna tell you right now, within, there wouldn't have been 30 seconds if I interacted with you, Steve Blair, circa 1988, and I wouldn't have been cussing up a blue streak with you and mocking the cross. I did all kinds of things with my mouth back then. You'd never know. You, you, you'd be amazed to hear what I sounded like back then. Still got some journey to go. 
as all of us do. Still got some journey, but God's doing it. So this is how spiritual warfare happens. This is how families, then communities, then regions, then nations, and then all the nations get transformed. The church becoming excellent, awesome at what's good. So there's no question who it is that we're representing. (laughs) Did that make its way up here? Yo, are you representing? Like if you wear Adidas on top and Nike on the bottom. Do you know you could get beat up in some of the neighborhoods in New York when I was a kid for doing that? Who are you representing? That was the most ridiculous thing of all time. But we do that. I mean, that's ridiculous to do it over clothes and brands. But if we're representing Jesus, it means everything on the outside is one thing clothed with Christ from head to toe. That was a metaphor that only makes sense in the hood. Sorry. <laughs> I kind of thought that might fall flat here. So be excellent at what's good. Be innocent of evil. We don't overcome evil with more evil. If the enemy is slandering, if the enemy is saying nothing but negative things, we don't counteract that with more negative things about them. We don't engage in mudslinging in this kingdom. We overcome evil with good. We're excellent at what's good. We're so excellent at what's good. We overcome evil with good like a tsunami. Oh, you might have your day evil. You might have the hour evil, but with the breath of his mouth. You know how Antichrist, the man of lawlessness is destroyed? One breath of the mouth of Jesus, and he's destroyed. So be excellent at what's good. Be innocent in what's evil. What's going to happen? The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That's an amazing phrase. That is an amazing phrase of spiritual warfare. Not the God of angel armies. He is that. He is the Lord of hosts. He is that. One angel. One of those hosts of angels that the Lord of hosts commands can wipe out the entire Assyrian army and blind them in a second. That's how powerful those angel armies are. But he's known the one who's going to be victorious over the spirit of Antichrist, the, all the conspiracy that conspires against the Lord as he sits on his throne in heaven. The, all of that, he's known as the God of peace. All authority. You know that somebody's confident in their authority when they could stay at peace even when there's a rebellion against them. Parents, we would all do well to remember that. You all know how hard it is to hold your peace When that kid that you birthed and fed and changed the diapers and raised and sacrificed and all those things and they look up at you and they they talk to you like you're the biggest idiot that walked on planet earth. You all know how hard it is to hold your tongue and stay at peace in those moments. God does that all the time. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. Do we believe that though? It'll show how confident we are with that by how we use our mouth. Because whatever is the abundance of our heart, whatever the overflow, the spillover of our heart is what comes out of our mouth. And that's what I'd like to spend some time looking at. Uh, Attempting to overcome evil with evil is like fighting a fire while you're pouring gas on it. That's that's just, it, it doesn't work. You can't feed the flame and keep throwing more things on it while you're trying to fight the fire. So since our mouth is our greatest weapon, this thing right here can do, you know, if the pen is mightier than the sword, the mouth is even more powerful than that because with the mouth comes an authority. When things are spoken, I'll share more in a moment when we look at John and how he introduced Jesus to us. What, what happens with this mouth, you know one conversation can change the course of your day, right? Either somebody affirmed you at a moment that you really needed it, like a word spoken in due season, it came to you, and it, and it lifted you up, made your day. 
I remember riding on the New York subway to go to my high school. It was an hour ride each direction, three different trains, and it was just, a, it was wearisome. I started doing that when I was 14. I can't believe my mother let me ride the subway alone when I was 14, all the way across to a dangerous part of Queens at that, where the school was that I went to. I'd ride the subway, and the guy that was the conductor at the time I needed to arrive at school on the F train, that was the last train I took. Of course, we had all kinds of jokes about that and all kinds of graffiti next to the F on the trains too. But this guy was the conductor, and there were only a few of us because it was the second to last stop. And at every stop, when people got off, he said in a really clear voice, I think he was a black man. He had that rich baritone, like, uh, I don't know, like a Louis Armstrong kind of strength behind his voice. You know what I mean? It just felt warm. I felt like my dad was hugging me when he would speak. And he said, Parsons Boulevard, second to last stop. Have a good day. And he said it just like that on a New York subway. I want to tell you, peace flooded my heart. I used to look forward to my stop which was just before I got onto the craziness of a 4,000 student high school in the middle, middle of New York City. But this conductor, I still remember him. This is 40 years ago. I still remember him. And I can hear his voice in my head. Have a good day. Just like that every day. It was like a recording, but they didn't use recordings, and it was him. That's the power of that one man's tongue to quiet this unbelieving, rebellious, foul-mouthed kid's heart. That's how powerful our words are. They can make a day. It is such an incredible weapon. But here's what we have to be aware of. And I'm I'm sharing, I think, a lot of this series that I'm going to be sharing with you comes by way of confirmation. This is something that I believe, well, I know, I have heard life spoken out of every one of our mouths. As I walk by sometimes, I think you, you probably see me when we're praying for each other. I'll oftentimes not lay hands on somebody because I like to go around and bless what the Lord's speaking through the saints. And as I hear the words that are spoken, the prophecies, the blessings, the prayers that are being offered up, I know it re- makes heaven rejoice and it makes my heart rejoice. But sometimes we have to just be reawakened again to the reality of the fact that the accuser speaks too that the enemy of our soul's primary weapon is also the words of his mouth. With the word of his mouth, with just four statements, that, that lion deceiving Lucifer was able to draw Adam and Eve away from the heart of God where they live face to face with him. With just four lies and four twists of the truth, he was able to, just with his tongue, move Adam and Eve away from God and into rebellion. That's how powerful his mouth is. So sometimes it's really good to be aware We're not unaware of his schemes. And his primary scheme is lying, deceiving, twisting. That's how he does things. So all communication that doesn't have its origins in heaven is like a foreign invader to the mind of Christ. Our immune system's a fascinating thing. I I re-upped on my understanding of it when COVID broke out. Because I was very, very, I was wondering, you know, how's this going to go? Is this going to be something where our immune system kicks in and it's just a common cold and it's gone in a few weeks? That was my original thought, optimist me. I had no idea it was going to take this long. And it's a weird kind of thing that happens. But our autoimmune system is an absolute marvel of the wisdom of God. You talk about fearfully and wonderfully made, and David didn't even understand these things yet. This one of the things that boggles my mind about how I ever believe that evolution explains how we got here. It is such a complicated system. So to bubble it down, 
Our autoimmune system is wired by God in such a way. Our white blood cells, different kinds of them, a foreign invader comes into our bloodstream and the B cell leukocytes, they detect that. Why? Because they're knowledgeable. The B cells, some of them we're born with, most of them we develop as we're exposed to antigens or always different things that want to kill us that come into our bloodstream and our body learns and remembers all the foreign substances that have come in to try to kill us. So these B-cell leukocytes, I know it's science class right now, but this is amazing and there's a spiritual application to it. It remembers, hey, wait a minute, that doesn't belong here right now. In other words, something gets triggered on the inside of our physical body when something that doesn't belong there approaches or gets inside. And what does it do? It sends a signal. We need reinforcements. It surrounds that thing. It, it surrounds this enemy, this foreign invader, and tags it. It literally labels it like with an X. It's, it's much more complicated than that. But it tags it so that when the army comes, those are the T cells, when the army comes, they know who to attack, engulf, demolish. I mean, if you've ever seen like atomic level or you know, cellular level warfare, it is intense. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still such a bio geek. You're all looking at me like, well, come on. Watch a video, man, where they really animate it, man. They, they go inside and poof, explode the thing into a million parts and completely neutralize it. It's like somebody should make a really good movie out of it sometime and make us interested in these things. I'm fascinated because everything in the natural points to something in the spirit. Our immune system, without us thinking about it, is smart enough to know, hey, that doesn't belong in here. Let's destroy this thing. And it remembers when something came in so that next time it's ready for it. And that's why, most, that's why you don't get chicken pox again. That's one of the ones we maintain for life most of the time. So in the spirit, a thought that enters our mind that did not come from heaven We've got to treat it like our white blood cells treat an antigen that comes into our body, a foreign invader. We've got to treat it like that. Search it out and destroy it. That's what it means to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. If it comes in, and then, of course, all of our thoughts get attached to emotions. If it comes in and our thoughts are filled with anger or fear or anxiety or depression or whatever those other things are, We've got to treat those thoughts in the spirit the same way our body treats a bacteria when it finds its way into our bloodstream. So if the communication, meaning what flows out of our mouth because it was in our heart to begin with, wasn't born in heaven, you know, our mouth and the words of our mouth are symptoms. They're not, they're not the problem in and of itself because it's something that was on the inside that produced the words that came on the outside. So when we find ourselves, if we find ourselves always being negative with the words of our mouth, there's a problem on the inside that, that we should pay attention to. Just like if you have a fever, that's not the problem. A fever is letting you know that you have a problem. Pain is not a problem. Pain lets us know that there is a problem that we should pay attention to. Pain is a gift of God. There, you know, there are people that have no pain system. Their receptors don't work. That is a dangerous way to go about life. These are people who could put their hand on a hot burner and not realize it until they smell the hand burning. Pain is not the problem. It points us to the problem. The words of our mouth are not in and of themselves the problem, but they point us to something deeper. Aren't you glad that the cross took care of that? Aren't you glad that God is even able to make the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart acceptable 
in the perfection of heaven's sight. So here's what happened. It has to do with our call in the world. It has to do with who we are in Christ. All of this gets wrapped up into whether our generation will see a massive outpouring and revival and renewal and reformation in our nation, the Church of America we're talking about now. Will we see that in our generation or will we pass it on to another one? Here's what's happened. If we find that with our mouths, most of what's blowing up out of our heart is complaining and speaking negative about all the problems in the world because, well, you know, Jesus is gonna come back and fix it in the end. And I, I do need to speak about this for just a moment. That is deferring responsibility on someone else that actually God's given to us. It's easier to just say, well, the world, the Bible says the world's gonna get worse anyway. And that means I have no responsibility to be the answer to the prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't have any responsibility for that. This is a belief that can come with that belief system. I bear no accountability. I'm not responsible. I got news for you. We are responsible. All authority was given to Jesus, and then he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So here's the moment that Isaiah came into a new level of authority. Isaiah the prophet, I recommend reading the whole book through. And by the way, the Passion Translation has, he's done it, and it's fantastic. I mean, you're going to probably read over some familiar passages because he's so rewired some of the wording of ones that, you know, you, I mean, if you like Handel's Messiah, you might read right past Isaiah 9 and not realize you just did because he so reworked it, but it's beautiful and he captures the heart of it. And Isaiah was, for sure, as far as prophets goes, looms larger than all the rest combined. Within the book of Isaiah is all of human history right on to the return of the Lord, all in that one prophet. That man had revelation. That man, it's like he lived in heaven and then visited the earth every once in a while to write down some things that he saw up there. And he said, I'll be back. And then he went back into heavenly places. So he'd already been prophesying. Isaiah 1 through 5, Isaiah's already been prophesying. But all of his prophecy were of the judgment of God coming to the people of God in Israel. He was limited to the people of Israel in the first five chapters. But then he gets taken up and he's in heaven and he sees some things and it happened, this is Isaiah 6 now, in the year of King Uzziah's death, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Now in the year of King Uzziah's death, King Uzziah reigned over Israel for 52 years. I think only one other king reigned longer than Uzziah, and he was a good king. He was a man after God's heart for the beginning part of his reign, and, and he had reforms, he had victories, he brought revival, or he continued a revival that his father had started in the land. But then it says that pride came up in his heart because of his success, and he went into the temple, and he tried to make himself a priest. In the old covenant, the office of king and the office of priest were separate from each other. In Christ, we got him back together again. But in that day, it was unlawful for him to go in the temple and burn incense. And he knew it. And so did all the priests. The priests loved their king. They loved this man of God. And they pleaded with him, literally stood in his path and said, don't do this, king. You know that you're not authorized by God. Do you remember what happened to Aaron's sons? The first high priest lost two of his boys because they came the wrong way before this place. Don't do it. They pleaded with him, but he overruled them, brought incense, and then he was struck with leprosy. And he lived with leprosy until his dying day. 
And he was known not as the great revival king and restorer of the faith. He was remembered as being a leper. So that was King Uzziah. So his was a tragic reign, although he was a good righteous man. Tragic reign. So imagine at the end of all that, he's died now, not so sure about his son, not sure what's going to happen next. It's a season of uncertainty in Israel. Not coincidentally, by the way, Romulus was born in Rome and was beginning to develop the Roman Empire. Those are the origins of Rome. That was happening at this season of world history. At this time, Assyria was amassing its forces. Isaiah would prophesy how they were going to invade Israel, as they did during Isaiah's lifetime. That was all happening. It was a tumultuous, fear-filled time for the people of God. And so that's what in the year King Uzziah, the year King Uzziah died means. This was a season of a lot of things up in the air. We're going to need to know what heaven's agenda is right now. And not just us, but the nations around us who are amassing against the promised people of God and the chosen people in the promised land. They, they've got to have a word of power that's going to go to them. And, and of course, Isaiah, you know, this man would see the cross almost like he was watching it unfold as on a movie screen when you read Isaiah 53. He prophesied things about the Messiah and the rule of his kingdom that, that even God's people didn't understand. All of the gospel is in the book of Isaiah. He's like, some people call him the fifth evangelist. His whole book is just filled with Jesus' life and story. And here's the moment that it all changed and watch what happens. Seraphim stood above him each having six wings, with two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. That song never stops. If we ever care to remember that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and we've, we let all the things of this earth grow strangely dim like the song says and listen to the thing our spirit is attuned to, this is the song. This is the song our spirit is listening to 24-7. If we allow our spirit to be that which leads our lives rather than our soulish responses to things that go around or our carnal appetites, but if we tune into what our spirit is tuned into, this is what our spirit's hearing 24-7. The holy, holy, holy means, you know, and Lord in heaven and, and the second heaven on the earth, under the earth, he's holy in every place, nothing like him, nobody to compare. Once you begin to look at God, it's like everything else doesn't matter anymore. That's holy, holy, holy. When we know, and then they said, now this was about 700 something B.C., more than seven centuries before the Son of God would become incarnate in the earth, he said the whole, or they said rather, the whole earth is full of his glory. This is what's being sung in heaven. Now we can argue with them if we want to and say, well, it doesn't look like that. This is what the whole earth is full of his glory looks like? Man, I, I thought God was greater than that. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know what the promise of the other prophets are? The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the seas. How's the world going to know that the Lord's glory covers the earth? Because of the words of our mouth. How will anybody know if nobody tells them? 
How will anybody know unless the saints of God, those who have access to holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, to have that truth blazed into our spirit. See, every time we get negative about what's going on in the world, we've forgotten to tune into the heavenly song. We forgot what the angels are crying out. Do we think they're wrong? Do we think that they're the ones who can't see the full picture? Or maybe it's that we need to continue to sit in heavenly places. And rather than let CNN, NBC, and blah, 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 all the others, and I'm sorry, even some of the Christian news broadcasts, instead of letting all of them tell us what the earth is full of right now, full of war, full of famine, full of natural disasters, earthquakes, floods, tornadoes, etc., full of environmental disasters, full of all of this and that. How about we tune into heaven's song and fill our heart with that? Because when it comes down to it, if we disagree with heaven, they're right, we're wrong. That's the fundamental principle of all what it means to be a citizen of heaven. The one who sits on the throne is always right even and especially when something that we observe with our eye or experience in our heart disagrees with that. So we let heaven's song begin to fill our heart. We're going to have a whole different outlook on what happens next, on what's going to happen next. And now we have the zeal because for lack of vision, my people perish. Now we have a heavenly vision. Oh, the whole earth is full of his glory. Hmm, what's my part in that? And that's exactly what's about to happen to Isaiah. So where are we? At the found, at, and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Unclean lips? You're standing before the Lord in all of His glory. And what you're worried about is the way you speak is so much deeper than that. Remember Peter's initial response when he beheld the Lord in His glory? Get away from me. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's an expression, but it's a meaningful expression. Because if we have unclean lips, it's a symptom of an unclean something going on in the heart. And that's what Jesus specializes in, removing everything that's unclean. Jesus touches the leper and makes them from unclean to clean with one touch and one word of his mouth. He's able to do that with our heart. I am a man of unclean lips. I live in the middle of a people of unclean lips. Now that I see how holy you are, I recognize that even I, this is Isaiah. He's been a prophet for five chapters. Don't know how many years it was. Five chapters worth of pretty intense prophecy. And even he said, now that I'm seeing you like you are, I recognize I need something, that I don't deserve to be in this place. That's a good place to begin, not a good place to live if you're a saint. If you haven't heard it before because you're new to Hillside, you are not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner, and now because of the grace of God, you're a saint who once was a sinner, but now you're a saint. You don't need to be in some stained glass window in a church with a frisbee on your head. You're a saint. You're a saint. So we've been transformed. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his mouth, or in his hand, <laughs> that would hurt. Burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips, 
and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. It's an amazing thing. He touches his lips and just by touching his mouth, his sins are forgiven and his iniquity is taken right out of him. Where did the coal come from? Well, that was taken from the heavenly reality of what then was the earthly um, um, uh, I just lost the word. What's the word? A type or shadow. The earthly pattern of what goes on in heaven. He took that from the altar where burnt sacrifices were made. I'm going to take that. I'm going to touch your mouth and it's going to clean you from the inside out. And the first thing people are going to notice is that you have authority on your mouth now that you didn't have before because it's not putting forth bitter and sweet water. Now you're just speaking the word of God. You are going to speak as an oracle of God. You are going to represent your words will carry heaven's authority behind them and what you say will come to pass. You're going to say things that won't come to pass for seven centuries, but they're going to come to pass. You're going to say things that the people of your day and your generation don't understand, but they're true and those who receive it as such will have life. Those who reject it, well, they're just going to be on the wrong side of history, as we say. And they're going to experience things they don't need to experience. I'm putting authority on your mouth right now, and I'm not just changing your words so you can be like a whitewashed tomb, saying the right things on the outside, but being hollow and empty on the inside with dead men's bones. No, no, no. I'm going to give you a word that's going to have some authority behind it because you're going to embody the message that you go to preach now because I'm taking away your iniquity. I am making you clean. I am making you whole. That's what this coal is all about. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. Now that your mouth's been taken care of, you don't have to watch your mouth anymore because I've washed your mouth. I've purified it. Now, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. This is where that comes from. I got your lips, I got your mouth. Now that you're going to speak like I speak, who shall we send? You're going to always feel God messing around. I think he's funny. If any of us is funny, God's funnier. I think he's like, so there's Isaiah. He's like, they just put a, a burning coal in my mouth. That was freaky. And they told me I'm clean, which is awesome. Now what? And then God's just up there like, ah, you know, so who are we going to send, Gabriel. Who, who's going to go for us? Who, who's going to speak for us? And there's Isaiah up in the front going, me, 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 me first, I'll go. He responds to the Lord with a cleansed mouth and he's ready to go preach and he's ready to go speak. So before we can preach good news, we need God to clean up our mouth. And I got good news for you. He done, how many of you had it? No, don't raise your hands for this. Did you ever have a mom or a, I had a camp counselor that did it, squirted, joy um, dish detergent in my mouth after I cussed. I was nasty. It went all the way in too. Like it, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I remembered his name just now. Forgive him, Lord. He knew not what he did. <laughs> That's nasty. Thank Jesus doesn't do it like that. He doesn't do it like that. He requires our cooperation, right? With, you, know, you understand? All of discipleship, all of sanctification requires our cooperation. Salvation's free. We get a pass on that. He'll take a coal from the altar and touch our lips. He'll die on a cross and make the way and open the door for us to come in. After that, it's all partnership with him. After that, we can stay a newborn babe in Christ 50 years in the Lord and still behave like somebody who just came to know Jesus yesterday. Or we can begin this lifelong journey and process of discipleship where we walk with him and over and over again. 
And, and one of the greatest ways of knowing how far we've come is what our mouth is being used for. If most of the words of our mouth glorify God, if we come in, like not just gathering here in church, but our mouth is singing praise, our mouth is proclaiming the excellencies of God, and that's mostly what our mouth is for, we're coming a long way in Christ if that's what bubbles up out of us. You know, you squeeze something, you find out what's in them. So when we get into a tough situation, we get into hard times, are we cussing, are we swearing, are we cursing the darkness, are we cursing the person who brought that problem, or are we blessing the Lord at all times because his praise will continually be in our mouth? Do you know you can't turn three pages in the Bible without finding something about the use of our mouth? Did you know that? When I started to study this out fresh, I love the Word, I love studying the Word, and one of the ways I do it, some of you may want to do this yourself, if I'm going to preach a series on something and God really wants me to dig into it deeper than I've studied before, I'll do a word search. So do a word search on tongue, lips, mouth, speech, and all of that. There are thousands of scriptures. I was like, whoa. I just stood under a waterfall for a drink. There's so much in the word about the words of our mouth. Go figure. There's a lot in there. So unclean lips result from unclean thoughts which we've permitted to find a home in our hearts. This is where that autoimmune response of our spirit needs to come in. Unclean lips come from unclean thoughts. Well, where do those unclean thoughts come from? You know, most of the time when we're in Christ, the unclean kind of thinking, meaning I'm now going to think less of somebody as a result of something I heard. I might think less of myself because of something I just heard. I might think less of that person or this person or this thing because of something I heard. Those are all things, you know, we get bombarded with words every day. And by the way, I don't have time and I probably won't get into this while we're going through this series because I'm more concerned about what comes out of our mouth. But there is, there are words going through the atmosphere constantly. Radio signals, TV signals, they're invisible and they're we don't hear them with our ears, but they're out there. All you need is a receptor that absorbs it. There is power in that. The reverberation of God's creative word when he said, let there be some stars in the heavens. Do you know there's still stars being formed today? Of course, we won't know about it for a while because it takes a while for their light to get here. There are still new stars being formed. He just said that once and it's still happening. Let the seas teem with life. Man, for the last several thousand years since God said that, the seas have been teeming with more life and more life and more life. So it is with all the words. So unclean thoughts. When the thought enters our mind, we have an option to make. And the longer we wait, just like with that autoimmune response, when a virus enters our system, if our autoimmune system's not ready for it, and it's permitted to get in there, now it begins to multiply. Then it begins to find a home in whatever organ is its favorite dwelling place in our body. It finds a way, it reproduces, it multiplies. Now we're sick. Do you know right now we've got thousands of different kinds of germs flooding around our body? Did you know that? I hope you're not. If you're given anxiety, maybe plug your ears or I'll help you with deliverance. Because it's freaky when you read and know about how many antigens we have in our body that our body's handling. That's why we don't feel sick all the time that are on our skin right now, forget about it. You'd be bathing in, in, in what we hand sanitizer all day if we, if we could see it. You'd never shake a hand again, which some are proposing, but that's another. <laughs> we can't let those thoughts 
dwell in our heart or in our mind. We can't let them dwell in our mind and spin them over in our mind. This is how it all begins. We get an external thought. It didn't originate in heaven. Now we have an option of what to do with it. Just like Adam and Eve had an option. The devil said, God doesn't want you wise. Oh, hang on a second. That doesn't sound like God. That could have been their response. Bam, white blood cells. Kill that thought. Rip it to a million pieces and separate them as far as east is from the west. And we got no sin and we live in paradise. I've thought about that a lot of times. I mean, I'm going to love Adam when I meet him. But man, dude, (laughs) one thought planted by a clever liar. Permit got into the heart, first in the mind, then in the heart, and then action came as a result. You know, it's not just our mouths we're talking about, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, but actions speak louder than words. That's true. They took action on the thought of their heart and brought all of this death and destruction into creation. As a result, we don't let them get a home in our hearts. That's how we succeed at overcoming these things. Soon as a negative thought comes, take it captive. Put it in prison for life, death sentence. Put it on death row and eliminate it. If we get them in, well, we'll talk more about that as we go. Our commission is to preach good news. That's what this mouth's made for, to preach good news. So we gotta be careful not to lend our mouth and the authority that's in our mouth to any other agenda. So I'm gonna stop there for this week, but I do want to... Uh, give you a little bit of a preview that we're going to be going to different ways that we use our mouth. I'd like to talk about different ways that we use our tongue and ought to use our tongue because we always write. And growing in Christ, and this is for us raising our kids, 95% or more of our communication should be to build up what's good. I love, I'm a coach. I love coaching. Swimming was my sport and water polo. And I love encouraging athletes with what they're doing right. So if I'm going to give one piece of feedback to correct on a swimmer's stroke, for example, I'm going to first tell them three things they're doing right. Hey, awesome head position. Your kick, wow, that's really come along great. And man, you're you're not wiggling anymore. Your body's perfectly straight in the water. Now let's work on getting that hand a little bit more curved when you start your your pull under the water. That's the kind of thing I'm doing. That's That's what our words have the power to do. That's the proper use of the tongue to encourage and all of that. So when we misuse our tongue, Misusing our tongue can come in two forms. Speaking when we should be quiet or remain silent and remaining silent when we should be speaking. Those are two forms of misuse of the tongue that we'll break down over the next few weeks. In the meanwhile, I'm gonna go back to that homework assignment. Challenge yourself, if you're with me in this, challenge yourself to speak a thousand times more about Jesus than anything the enemy's up to in the world. Let's not help him light more fires like what Steve saw in pre-service prayer. Let's not use our tongue, right? James said, oh, what a fire the tongue can start. We all know it. Anybody ever been caught up in a wildfire of the tongue before? Somebody spread malicious gossip and now, boy, the damage that gets done by that and how hard it is to bring it back into peace. Once a wildfire is underway, caused by one untoward word of the tongue, it's an amazing thing how much power our tongue has. So a thousand times more about the kingdom of heaven, about Jesus, about all that is good and perfect and pleasant. A thousand times more of that, and then you're allowed one complaint per 1,000 times magnifying the Lord. Who thinks they could do it?
<laughs> Nobody raised their hand. <laughs> Let's stand to our feet and ask the Lord for help. Because I believe that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord has anointed us to preach good news. To preach good news. So Father, take our mouth as you did Isaiah's and purify it. And in purifying our mouth and eliminating all the fruit of whatever's been in our heart, you'd cleanse our heart and make us whole on the inside that our, our words of our mouth would be like the meditations of our heart which are acceptable in heaven's realm. So Lord, we pray that you would make us alert and aware. Raise up our spiritual autoimmune system to be aware of foreign thoughts. Anything that produces emotions that are not felt in heavenly places where there are no tears, there's no mourning, there's no pain. Anything that originated from another kingdom that we'd be aware of it immediately. Sensitize us and make us aware of what's going on inside our spirit. That we'd be those who rule the world by sitting together with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. That the earth will be nothing but the righteousness and the peace and the joy in the Holy Ghost. That that's the world we're going to live in because the saints of God spoke with their mouth and transformed the world into the likeness of paradise. Amen. Amen. I'm excited. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. I love you guys. Have an awesome day, an awesome week, awesome life.